thinking a bit of, in a sober way about the society we live in and where we're at. And I don't want to be a doom and gloom, a prophet of doom. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to pretend everything's great when it isn't. I mean, interestingly, this week I've seen two, it was a bit remarkable, really, two situations almost identical. You know the police drive the bikes now, the push bikes, have you seen the police on the push bikes? And they do look quite funny, it must be said. But tw- on two occasions, I saw two police uh, on, on these bikes riding through Camden, and on both occasions I saw a, gr- a, gra- a gang of young people calling out to them in a derisive, mocking, challenging way. Like, literally, calling right out to them. And both times, the police just cycling on. I thought, that's interesting. It's interesting on two levels. On the one level, it's interesting because there's just a, an absolute disregard for authority now. That's kind of established. Yeah? Whereas previously, you would kind of show some respect to authority simply because it's authority. Now that's not there anymore. That's actually very worrying. It's worrying for education. It's worrying for family life. It's a huge thing that's happened there. The second thing is really to notice the fear, really, on the part of the police. What would happen if we stop and challenge this? Will it all kick off? Blah, 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 blah. And so, because what we find very often is that gang culture is becoming mainstream youth culture now. And that's a scary thing, because the values of gang culture are very different from the values of the kingdom. And um, it doesn't need saying. But it's becoming mainstream, which means certain attitudes and certain values that are taken on are not just a fringe thing now, they're increasingly getting into people's um, mind, if you like. And so really, we find ourselves in a society also where many, many young people won't even know who their dad is, let alone relate healthily to him. They just don't even know who he is. And so what we find is that things that are very fundamental to society, building blocks, family, family life, community, um, authority, education, actually are teetering on the edge of some pretty scary um, moves which could easily happen if things carry on as they are. Now the question is, what's the answer? Well, I'm assuming that most of us here will say we know the answer is God. Yeah? We know the answer is God and we know the answer is the gospel. The answer is in the crucified man. Lord Jesus Christ. In his death and resurrection, only in the message of Jesus Christ crucified is their internal transformation, which is what we need. Amen? We know that because those of us that are born-again Christians have experienced that in our own lives. It's not theory. We've been changed by Jesus. We can't explain it. It sounds a bit funny to suggest to someone who doesn't know that a Jewish man who lived 2,000 years ago, who died on a cross and then rose again, has changed us so fundamentally that we're not what we were and that we've got eternal life in him because he rose from the dead. That sounds a bit odd, but when you've experienced it, you can't pretend it hasn't happened, can you? So we know that's the answer, but my question is this. Okay, so God is the answer and the gospel is the answer, but how does God express himself through the gospel? Well, it's via the church. That's how that is. God's ordained means... For forwarding the gospel is the church, not angels. Angels don't preach the gospel. Angels are sent to help the saints. They don't preach. We preach. So it's quite a sobering thing. We have to ask ourselves, where is the church at? Because the church is called the light of the world. The hands and feet of Jesus. The mouthpiece of God. So where is the church at? What kind of state is the church in? Because the health of the church will really dictate the state of the world because we are the salt of the earth. Now, in those days, there was no fridges, so you kept meat um, from going rotten by putting salt in it. And so the whole idea is that the salt of the earth, we are, that is what we are, our being in the earth, in the world, living for God, just loving, but being pure, and saying no to certain things, but a big yes to other things, godly things, and no to immorality, and no to impurity, and no to gossiping, and no to 
dark, divisive things, but a big yes to holiness, living for Jesus, living life to the full, joy in all its fullness. As we do that, we're a preservant in the world, and it doesn't go as rotten as it would go if we weren't in there. And so, how is the church? Well, in many cases, the church is hiding, scared, satisfied with being another group of happy people on the corner that no one even knows about, scared to go out and engage, or if not that, very often arguing amongst itself, questioning its own scriptures. Or if not that, it's just a couple of steps behind the world in terms of ease and complacency. It's, tra- it's kind of traded in transformation for confirmation. Now we want to just be conformed. We would rather be like the world. We don't want to be, you know, don't like the idea of people sitting up noticing, deriding us because we're a bit different. We'd rather just be like the world. So just a couple of steps behind and it's all shown in the stats, divorce rates, church is just behind and all these other things. Whereas we should be markedly different. Now there are good signs. There are good things that are happening. But I'm just trying to say, let's be sober at the start of the day. Let's be sober. I think even with the monster churches in London, the reality is, is that they are not impacting London at grassroots level. The impact of worldly philosophies and evil things and immorality and violence are much more obvious and manifest. And so we need to get to a place where we are vibrant, shiny, full of the glory of God, full of the love of God, full of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to be in that place? I'm sure you do. We all want to get there, don't we? So we say, well, how do we get there? Well, the clues are in John 15. They're elsewhere as well, but John 15, let's read the first nine verses. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Sorry, i let you find it. We're just doing a little mini-series on John 15, the vine and the branches. Jesus says, John 15, verse 1. They're most likely on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane and passing a vineyard. So it's a vivid illustration. He's probably pointing to it, saying it's a bit like this. I am the true vine and my father's the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, he clips back that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean or you're pruned because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So last week, we looked at two things. Today, we look at one thing. Good deal? One-point sermon. How exciting is that? Okay? So last week was two things. We looked at what is fruitfulness. And we looked at it. It's 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 the nature of Jesus Christ starting to flow from him through us as we're joined with him by faith and his spirit lives in us. His lightness comes through us and we begin to give off the fragrance of Jesus. So as we, remember the illustration I said of when you pass often a woman in the morning on the way to work, you're hit by a wall of perfume. Yeah, the fragrance that she carries, it hits you, it's a strong thing. Well, likewise, the people we brush up against and come across day to day should smell something. That's different. It's a different fragrance. It's, what is that? It's not like everyone else. And for some, they go, ugh, horrible. 
Bible says it. It repels some. It's death to some. It just reminds them of every, everything that they know that they really should be, but are not, and they think, I don't like that. Others go, man, that's nice. And God draws them. It's the fragrance of Christ. And that is what fruit is. It's that we look like Jesus. There were four things specifically in the passage. Number one, humility. Before this conversation, Jesus took off his outer garment and he washed the feet of his disciples. Now remember, in those days, that was a slave's job. You would, there'd be dusty roads and sandals, so you come in and the slave's job would be to wash your feet. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to be like a slave to you. And then he says, do the same. Be humble. This is to the leaders of the movement. That's how you lead. You lead with humility. You serve others. Okay, so it's humility. Secondly, love. Jesus said, as you love one another, the world is going to take notice. The world's head is going to turn and the world's going to say, that is the real thing. That's not just religiousness. That's not just people harking on about God and being silly. I can see something in the way they relate, in their love, the way they are with one another. That's amazing. Jesus said, the whole world will know you're my disciples if you love one another. The third thing is answer prayer. Jesus said, whatever you ask the Father in my name will be done for you. If you abide in me, whatever you wish will be granted to you. This is an amazing promise. All of Jesus' prayers were answered and will be answered. As we abide in Jesus, all of ours will. Answered prayer should mark our lives. And when I say answered prayer, that doesn't include no's. I've heard people try and wriggle out of it. I say, yeah, but no's an answer. That is not what is being spoken about here in the Bible. Now, when we ask for silly things, God says no. That's our fault, not his. Don't ask for silly things, okay? But when you ask for those things that are on God's heart, your kingdom come, your will be done, breakthrough, fruit, salvation, it's yes. Because all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, yeah? So when we're praying, there's a resounding yes and amen that comes from heaven. That's fruitfulness. And the fourth thing is that we do the works of Jesus. In fact, we do greater works than Jesus. Remember we looked at that last week. It's not greater in quantity. The Greek there is quality. It's we do even more amazing, miraculous things than him. That's what he promises. That's fruitfulness. Do you want to be fruitful? All right. But then we look secondly at pruning, that there are those seasons for those that abide in Christ and and are close with him that bear fruit. Then the Father comes along and just says, I want you to bear some more fruit, so I'm going to cut you right back. And branches, I remember I looked on YouTube, a vineyard clipping and branches that long were cut down to that. And so when you're pruned, bang, you can feel like, man, there's nothing left of me. Yeah, yeah, so you feel, what's the, I've, I'm, I've all gone. If you've been a Christian a while, you'll know that experience. You think, I've all gone, there's nothing left. I thought I could pray, I can't even pray anymore. I thought I could read the Bible, it doesn't make sense anymore. Well, what's going on? You've been pruned back so that you might bear more fruit. That's how it works. So we looked at what is fruit and being pruned back. And we looked at how to cope with being pruned back because it's difficult. It's emotionally tough to be pruned back. It's drastic. But today we're going to look at abiding. What is it to abide? The whole fruitfulness thing hangs on you and me abiding in Christ. The whole bearing fruit hangs on whether or not we abide. If you don't abide, you don't bear fruit. If you do abide, you do bear fruit. So you better figure out what it is to abide, yeah? (laughs) That's what it hangs on. It's mentioned seven times in the first eight verses. So, some insights into abiding. Are you ready? Today's sermon is on abiding. It just seems like every, every now and then you get a Sunday which is a Clapham Junction Sunday. Now what happens on those Sundays is this, is that people for some unknown reason are just up and down the whole time in and out. It's one of those. I don't get it, don't understand it. It's fine, okay, but it just means extra concentration. Okay, because I can guarantee that when I speak to you about abiding, the insights you're going to get from that, in terms of your future fruitfulness, will bless you in ways so far beyond watching someone walk in through the door. I just know it. I mean, it's just a hunch. But I just feel there's so much God wants for you. And, you know, I don't want to be heavy about it, but I'm just saying, please, this is 
really, really important. Okay, here we go. Number one, abiding doesn't happen automatically. It's not something God does for you. God will not abide you. You say, God, I really want to abide. Do this for me. God says, no, you abide. It's not something that the Lord does. The Lord does loads. He gives his only son for us, yeah? So we might not die and perish and have everlasting life. He, what else does he do? He gives us the Holy Spirit so we can understand the gospel. So suddenly this message of the cross makes sense. Wow, that's the Holy Spirit's work. He pours out his spirit on us when we become Christians so that he lives in us and we know that we're children of God. He empowers us. He gives us supernatural talents and abilities. He does amazing, immense things. But there are certain things he says you do. Abiding is one of them. It's not a foregone conclusion that you will abide either. On tricky ground here, theologically, but I'll say it anyway. It is not a foregone conclusion that you will abide if you're a believer. Don't try and get me to say something that I'm not saying. I'm simply saying that. You theologians out there. But there's no way it can be a foregone conclusion. If so, why is Jesus so keen? So listen, you need to abide, you need to abide. It speaks about those who are in him, but don't abide. It's very, very important. Just, the, just read the passage, and you'll see that that's definitely the case. There are branches in him that remain in him and bear fruit. There are those in him that don't and don't bear fruit. What that means is for a different sermon. <laughs> but... Let me just say this to you, though. Abide. Abide. But what is abiding? When I looked it up in the um, Strong's Greek and Hebrew Dictionary, as you do, um, and uh, when you don't know the Greek or Hebrew, and it said this, a number of different words. Stay. So when Jesus says abide in me, he's saying, stay in me. Continue. When Jesus says abide in me, he's saying, continue. In me. Dwell. When Jesus is abiding me, he's saying, dwell in me. Live in me. Endure. Jesus is saying, endure in me. Be present. I like that. Be present. Jesus is saying, be present in me. Be present in me. There's more. Remain. Remain in me. Stand. That's a good one, isn't it? Stand in me. Wait. Wait in me. What's Jesus saying? All these different things, they speak of the same thing they speak. Jesus is saying, listen, live in me. Make me your home. Not a holiday home that you visit every now and then. Make me your home. Unpack the boxes. Put up the pictures. Settle in. Settle right in to me. Be present in me. Be present to my presence. Be present to my voice. Be present to my affections. Be present to my leading. Be present. When you come and pray, be present. You know what I'm talking about. When you pray, it's so important that you are present to him. Because you can learn, if you've been a Christian in a while, how to pray and be completely absent from him. Do you know what I'm talking about? Bless the world, Lord. That sort of stuff. You said it 500 times, you think, maybe I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Just bless everyone, Lord. <laughs> Daydream for 10 minutes and come back. No, be present. Be engaged. Let all of your faculties be energetically deployed in me. Be, be present to my whisper and respond. Be alive. Be, 
be, have vitality in your relationship with me. Let, let, let my life and your life be interwoven. Have you ever looked upon a, ever tried to, I mean, when you're a kid and you're naughty and you pull branches off trees before you realise there weren't any trees left in the world. When I was a kid, it was okay to do that. And we've, you pull branches off trees. And what happens when you pull it off? There's never a clean break, is there? You're like that for ages, twisting, twisting, and going, got it. But it's a mess. It's not like a jigsaw puzzle. It's a clean seam, click out. No, it's not like the click stuff. It's, it's, and you think, why? Because the branch is different from the trunk, but it's not different from the trunk. It's the same thing. Have you noticed that? They're one. One is substance. They're interwoven. They're driven together. So you rip it off and you end up, you've got a big thing of bark hanging off here from the trunk because you pulled it. Why, Jesus is saying that's what it's like. It's organic. It's intimate. It's close. We're different, but we're the same. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, he who has joined himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. It's intimate. You've become in him. You're part of him. You can't just... It'd just be crazy. You'd lose you if you were to lose him. It's, Jesus says, abide, remain there. Now, when we get saved, the Bible says that the Father puts us in Christ. And yet the Lord is saying, now you remain. Remain. It's very interesting. But I'm still using imagery. So how can I really bring it down to earth and make it real? I'm going to use one word today that I'm going to preach on, and it's... Uh, way of expressing what it is to abide in a way that makes sense, and it's this word, devotion. Abiding in Christ is being devoted to Christ. What is devotion? Devotion is that happy state where you are gloriously and recklessly just so passionate about something that you're just lost in it. You're just lost in it. You're just devoted. I've had so much joy thinking about devotion, preparing for this Sermon. I've got some great little illustrations that are going to come through. Very funny ones. You'll all laugh. Because you'll think, oh, I think I can see me in that. In the book of Acts, we see an early church that was devoted. The Holy Spirit's poured out on them, and the the outworking is they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to praying together. They're devoted to breaking bread together. They're devoted to fellowship, just being with one another. Not just in a superficial way, but you know, just walking together. But that two, but it's three because Jesus is in the middle. Fellowship. They were devoted. They would sell their possessions and lay their, the money at the apostles' feet so they could distribute it to the poor. None of them called their own possessions their own. They said, no, I've got a all mine, but you can use it. It's not mine. You use it. No problem. Give it to someone else afterwards. We'll share it around. They didn't call. There was this devotion to God, and it spilled out to one another. They were a devoted, passionate people. It's attractive, isn't it? But it's costly. Yeah? She's attractive, so we go, oh, but it's costly, so we go, ooh. Yeah? You've been there. You get, you go, and then you realise what it means. You go, let me just think about this. Yeah, you understand because you think I really want this, but it's going to mean this. Oh, that's the reality, isn't it? Or is it just me? So you go, oh yeah, and you're after it, and then you think, oh maybe I should hedge my bets because it's going to cost this, and if it doesn't come through, then I'm done for. And we can get that. Well, I want us to break through the fear today, so we can just charge right into Jesus. Yeah, take some mad steps into Jesus. You see, when someone's devoted to someone else, for example, you never have to tell them to do something for that person. You have to tell them to calm down. Don't you? If someone's devoted to someone, you don't have to say, come on, you really need to just spend a bit more time. You just say, man, you're going a bit overboard here. Just give them some space. But there's this this urge. I just think it's so hilarious when you just, I want to do a degree in anthropology one day. Anthropology is the study of people. 
And I just think people are hilarious. I think I'm ridiculous. I'm sure you think you are too if you know yourself. The things you do and don't do and the things and the inconsistencies and the crazy stuff. But who has ever said to themselves, I don't have enough time to pray or read the Bible. And then you've come across either a novel that you really like or a DVD box set that you love. And within four days, you've done the lot. Have you, anyone ever done that? I don't have time to pray or read my Bible. God, something's got to happen. There's just no time. And you pick up the Da Vinci Code, 500-page book, and in two days, you're done. Now, where did that time magically appear from? That's supernatural. Where did that time? Because it wasn't there before. And then you found the novel and the time just suddenly came. It was like you were in like... Time stopped and you were able to read it all, put it down and then time started again. It was a bit like Joshua when God calls the sun to stand still. Have you noticed that? Time just stops. No, it doesn't. What happens? Your devotion, your delight leads to your devotion. It's because you delight in it. And if you delight in something, you'll be devoted to it. And you see, it's so important that we delight in Jesus. Only that will produce the kind of devotion that is abiding. Because what, what you find is, is that devo- what devotion can achieve outstrips what discipline can achieve by a hundredfold. Now, discipline's good. But what it can achieve compared to what devotion can achieve is just so different. Because when you're disciplined, you're making yourself do something because you know it's the right thing to do. That's not a bad thing. But God wants to bring us from that place to a place where we can't help ourselves. And we have to make ourselves stop praying because there's some things to be done. Yeah? Some practical things. And we have to make ourselves, I will read something else other than the Bible, but I just want a bit more of the Word. If you read the Psalms and the language David uses, that's his language. Your testimony is just have a look, shall we? Psalm 19. I mean, listen to this passion just oozing out from him. He's been captured, captured by God, captured by God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring, the, reviving the soul. You want your soul revived? The law of the Lord will do it. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Any of you need wisdom? You just think, I'm a simpleton? This is for you. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You're short of joy? Precepts of the Lord. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Listen to this. More to be desired. Psalm 19, verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey. Don't you long for the day where your heart is more drawn towards the Bible than the Easter egg in the fridge? Don't you long for that day? That's the heart of David. He's captivated by the word of God. He's captivated. He wants to meet God in the scriptures. Something's happened. He's a reckless devotee to Jesus. Are you? Am I? We want to be there, don't we? We know he deserves that. We know he deserves all our passion. And I want to urge you towards it. And I could feel guilty about doing that, thinking, man, is this realistic or what? But what I know is this. Is there anything less is horrible. My experience is this, is that when I'm, when I'm not on fire for Jesus, my heart is quickly captured by other things. Right there. And so to be on fire for Jesus is the safest place to be. There's nowhere safer. It's abiding. I'm in him. I'm in him. It's about saying, I'm in you, and I'm not going to try and get a little root out here into that too. And a little, no, I'm in you. I'm in you, Jesus. I'm going to go all out and believe that all of my needs 
emotional, physical, you know them and you're able to meet them and your wisdom's better than mine and as I trust you entirely with my life, you will do so much more for me than I could ever try to do by trying to carve out my own way. Absolute reckless trust. That's what he's after. It captures his heart. He loves it. Absolutely loves it. You see it, in, you see it when someone falls in love. It's so funny seeing someone fall in love. Because previously undiscovered aspects of their personality suddenly rise to the surface. Silly voices, for example. <laughs> Strange nicknames. Fluffle dumps. They weren't fluffle dumps before. Wiggles. You think, oh, wiggles, wiggles. You think, what are you doing? Irrational behaviour. Standing out in the rain and talking to someone in their window and just, I could stay here all night. Irrational behaviour. What's happened? They've fallen in love. They've fallen in love. They're not making themselves do it. I go stand in the rain now, 20 minutes, like a prayer time sometimes. No. I'll stand here all night. Just for one gaze in your eyes. You start writing poems. Never read a poem before. I really love you. Yes, it's true. Your eyes are like the deep blue sea. We've got a future, you and me. Uh, you see, <laughs> Davina, I'll write that down for you later. You'll have a great evening. So, but well, what's happened there? She's gone a week at the knees. Ignore. What has happened there? Something's been awakened. Something's been awakened. Love has been awakened. Now, listen, what is the first commandment? Don't religiise it. What is the first commandment? Love. Love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your mind. With all of your soul. With all of your strength. Love him. That's what he wants. He wants our love. And it's like, is it either Francis of Assisi or whoever it was said, love God and do whatever you like. Because if you love him, you'll do what pleases him. Love is that powerful. What is it that robs us of that love and that delight? In another parable, Jesus points to three things. And the illustration he uses is of weeds that come and they, 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 the harvest is growing, the fruit's about to come, but weeds come up and they choke it. And the language Jesus uses in Mark's gospel is that the fruit never matures, never comes. It was coming, but it doesn't come. Three things. Number one, the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches will choke out your relationship with God. Why does Jesus describe riches as deceitful? Because they promise what only God can deliver. They promise security. They promise opportunity. They promise status. They promise so much, but they can't actually deliver it. All you have to do is watch the news lately and see the banks wobbling, there's a nervousness around, because these things which appear so secure are not secure. And even if they are secure in your short temporary stay on earth, when you are before the throne of God, you will suddenly realise it was a complete joke and a false hope. Riches are deceitful. They promise you so much. Now, if you can manage money well and you're free from the love of it in your heart, God may well want to bless you in that way, but you'll be, you, know, you bet there will be a big responsibility on you in terms of giving and generosity. But Jesus spoke of money more than anything else because it grips our hearts because it promises so much. Opportunities. No, 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 no. God gives opportunities. 
God wants you somewhere, he'll open a door that no one can shut. Security, now only God gives security. Status. It's a poor excuse for status, just when people look at you because you've got a sports car or whatever. I say, status is this. It's being called a co-heir with Christ. It's being seated with him in the heavenly places. That's status. It's eternal. It's glorious. The second, the second weed is desires for other things. I think, man, that's a bit harsh. Desires for, what do you mean desires for? Surely it can't be wrong. What's he talking about here? Well, you see, thing, the human heart only has the capacity to be really passionate about not much. And if things are vying for pole position, it's a horrible place to be. In fact, Jesus said, didn't he, you can't serve two masters, you'd end up loving one and hating the other. You can't. If whenever Jesus says you can't, don't bother trying to do it. <laughs> All you do is discover that he's right three years down the lane and lots of disappointment and waste in between. You can't serve two masters. You'd end up loving one and hating the other. And so desires and lusts for other things, I tell you, there are things in my life that I think they're good things, there's nothing wrong with them, but I shake them off. I shake them off. Why? They will simply take up too much time and I want Jesus. They're not sinful things. That's why it says Hebrews 12. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It's not just sin. There are things you think, I like this and it's, I can never play those football manager games on PS2s. Or I can't do it. Why? I've got an addictive personality. I can't do it. It will take too much time. My prayer life will be damaged as a result. So I won't do it. I won't even start to play because I know myself. Now they're great. There's nothing wrong with them. But I know what I'll do. I'll start thinking. I'll be thinking about it all the time. I'm a maniac. I'm a maniac. I'm a maniac. I think. Well, that's the way God's made me. I'm going to be a maniac for Jesus. Now it may be different things for you. You've got to work it out. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. But I want to say, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Let there be one thing. Eh? Let's all be able to say, I'm a one thing person. At the end of the day, when all said and done, about Jesus. The final weed is the worries of this life. The worries of this life. These can just get you down. You just weigh down. What about what's going to happen? Job, security, I don't know. It can be all kinds of different worries, relationship issues, difficulties, health, blah, 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 the future, the past, the present. You know, duh, 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 duh. listen, shake it off. Shake it off. Be radical, be aggressive with it because it will choke what God wants to do in you. It will keep you cautious, fearful, and unable to just go on an adventure with God. Don't. Be, sorry, I'm going to whip that up and throw it out. So I refuse to worry. You might think, this sounds a bit unrealistic. I'll tell you, it's not unrealistic. There's no way Jesus would tell a parable, say, these are the weeds, and say, by the way, you've just got to live with them. No. No, 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 no. Instead, he says, clear the soil, get your soil good, so the word that comes in, it can really grow and come to maturity. Listen, as you remove those things out of the way, you will find, you will find because the Holy Spirit lives in you, and the Holy Spirit is passionate about Jesus. As you unpluck, unpluck the weeds, you will find that the de devotion and the delight begin to flow. I guarantee it. You bubble up. You think, oh, a bit of zeal's coming. Oh, this is good. Because it's in there. The Holy Spirit's in there, and he loves you. He loves Jesus, and he wants to draw you out. But you might say, Look, Steph, I've just, it's been so long since I've been delighted in Jesus, if I'm honest. It's been so long. How can I start discipline? That's how you start. Start doing what you know to be right. What you'll find is after a bit of time, as you do that, it's a bit like a sort of a relay race, right? So you start with discipline, that runs the first leg, okay, fine, I'm just going to do it, it's going to pray with my Bible, right? And then you find, so you're there doing the discipline thing, right? And then you find you're sliding down and you think, something's coming up here, what's this? Whoa, it's devotion. <laughs> And discipline can pass the baton on, and devotion, whoa, here we go, the proper, yeah, wow, running now. 
But you sometimes you just got to do something. I'm just going to do it. Yeah, I'm just going to do it. End of story. I make some decisions. Bang, bang, bang. Timetable bash. Because I know this is right. I know this there for me. Something in me saying, yeah, this is a spirit's witness in me. What I'm hearing today, this is right. I'm going to go for this. I'm not, my feelings might not be necessarily, but in my innermost, I know this is the truth. I'm going to go for this. You put it in place. But the whole time, you're not satisfied with it, saying, Jesus, saying, Jesus, give me my heart for you back. Lord, I pluck out the things. Come, revive me again. And as you do so, the thing comes up behind and bang, we're off. Amen? Amen. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. Finally, when all's said and done, what should be your motivation? Fruitfulness. Huh? I'm going I'm to just read out Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. If there's an ele- one of the words, as I, as, I, as I speak out those words, if there's one of those you think, hey, I really need that one at the moment. I really need that one at the moment. I want you to stand up. Okay? As I say the words. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Gentleness. Faithfulness. Self-control. Now we'll take some other fruit from the John 15. Answered prayer. Greater works than Jesus. This is what the Lord wants for us. (laughs) Let this motivate you. Let this motivate you. This is the promise. He does not lie. Do not believe unbelief. Unbelief's a liar. Unbelief is never happened for you. You'll be missed out. This won't happen. It works for them, but not for you. Rubbish lies. Do not believe it. Believe Jesus. He cannot lie. He's the truth. How can the truth lie? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the one who is the truth, the truth comes. Believe me. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. I want to urge you today, do what needs to be done to abide in Jesus. To be present to Jesus. With all of your faculties. I feel that for some of you. I was walking down the street praying yesterday and I saw a sports car go by, a very nice sports car, but it had a puncture in one tyre. And it was flapping around, you know how it does, the noise, strange noise, very slow. And I felt the Lord speak to me and say, there are people here today, you, you've got a flat tyre, you know what it is. And the word of the Lord to you today is this, there's no point trying to clean your car, take it to the car wash, that'll make it look nicer. Or hoover it on the inside. It's not what it needs. Because sometimes we can pay attention to the things, because we, we, we ignore the one thing. For some of you, there is one nagging thing. I believe it's... It's sin, either sins of commission, I think the word is, where we do things we know we shouldn't be doing, or sins of omission, where we've just stopped doing things we know we should be doing. We just stopped doing them. Giving, praying, meditating on the truth, loving Jesus. We've just stopped. The word of the Lord to you today, I believe, is change that tire. Don't faff around with other things that you think, well, no, 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 you know what's wrong. Give attention to it. Repent. Change. Change it there and you'll be rolling. That sports car was just not what it ought to have been because of that one tyre. If it had changed the tyre, the thing would have been rolling. There's speed for us. There's effectiveness God wants to give us. Let's go back to how I started the sermon then I'm going to just pray. Remember I spoke about our society, gang culture, total disrespect for authority. 
just the darkness creeping in. God has called the church to rise up and be glorious and preach the gospel and live Christ-like lives. To have the nature of Jesus in our heart and the word of Jesus on our lips. Lord, I pray that we will be a devoted people. A people utterly devoted to you. A people willing, Lord, to put all our eggs in one basket. A people willing to stand out in the rain and read poetry. People willing, Lord God, to just go, just be totally all yours. I pray, please God, I just want to pray on behalf of myself and my precious brothers and sisters here. You would pour your spirit out on us as we do this. As we turn towards you, as we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Hallelujah. You will draw near to us. It's a remarkable thing, but you are actually ravished by us. You love us. You are moved by our affections. And as we turn towards you, I pray for such a connection with you. Even if some of us have to wait a while so our things fall away and the ground gets cleared, we would hold, we would wait, we would trust, we would remain, we would endure, we would stay. We wouldn't give in, back off, fall away, lose heart. We would press into you. And I pray for masses of fruit, Lord. Fruit that we can't even imagine. Beyond our wildest dreams. To flow out of our lives, out of our churches. I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus. And those of you here today that you wouldn't describe yourself as a, as a Christian. Or maybe you would, but you don't know, you, you don't know for sure that you've ever given your life to Jesus. You might say, look, I, I want to bear this fruit for Jesus. What does it involve? Well, it involves this. It involves coming to the end of yourself. It involves acknowledging that you are not right with God and nothing you can do in your own steam could ever make you right with God. You could spend the rest of your life reading the Bible, praying and going to church. None of it would alter the fact that you are not right with God. All you can do is run to Jesus, the one who died for you, the one who took your place on the cross and put your trust entirely in him. And the Bible says that as you do that, as you turn away from yourself, and from the things that Bible calls and God calls sin, and that you just entrust yourself entirely to Jesus, that he will take out your heart of stone and he will put in a heart of flesh and you'll be a brand new person and you'll find yourself just caught up with Jesus. It's all been done for you at the cross. Jesus said it is finished. He worked for you so you could be saved. Let me urge you today, don't put it off. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. It's the day of salvation, the Bible says. It's a time for mercy. It's an opportunity to get saved. Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive and he loves you today and he wants to change your life. I pray for all those, Lord, who have never actually made that step. God, draw them to yourself today, we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Let's just wait on God. If the band would just like to make their way up here, we're just going to wait on God. Lord, we love you. I just, just as we're waiting on God, just let the Lord reignite passion, hope, faith, guts in your heart. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. <laughs> Thank you, you started this. You're faithful to complete what you started. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.